Again, as some of you know, I just got back from Israel, and I really wanted to take this time to tell you kind of a, here's, here's what's really going on behind the scenes. And so I was able to get a behind-the-scenes oppor- opportunity, like a removal of the red tape, um, really just an advance through from the time we arrived at the airport and uh, seeing all the things that we were able to see, go the places we were able to go and see the people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's really eye-opening, one, one because um, you hear stories, you hear the media, you hear what people are saying, and it's almost like um, if I tell you blue, it's blue long enough, you'll believe it's blue. You ever, you, ever, you ever had somebody say, look around the room and look for blue? Well, all you see is blue. You, don't, you miss the red, you miss the yellow, you miss everything else, and so it, it's kind of cooked into you a little bit, and so what's really going on? So I was able to see some things and talk with some people and, and really just love, love on people and, and, and receive love. And so I want to get into it a little bit, if I can. Uh, I don't know if you know much about uh, Israel area, Middle East, etc. And so you have Lebanon in the north. You have Jordan in the south, uh, west, sorry, southeast and Egypt. You have Israel right here in this little strip. It really connects Eurasia and Russia. And so you've got these, this area that's kind of like a highway for a lot of traffic in, in different, very important uh, nations and areas. And so then you have the Gaza Strip, this in the green, uh, two in the green here, are Palest- uh, Palestinian authorities. And so you got Gaza Strip and West Bank. And so Gaza Strip is really where you're hearing a lot of the stuff that's going on right here. It's a lot of, uh, just like a lot of heated zone. This is where um, a lot of the attacks have come from, and, and, and right now that's where the kind of the war has moved into. Uh, and, and so... We'll, as we explain that a little bit more, I wanted to give you perspective, um, and then that way I'm going to zoom in a little bit, and so you can see Gaza Strip, Gaza City to the north. Some of the places where I'm going to acclimate you to are up in the north of Gaza Strip, and then down to the west, south, southwest of Gaza Strip. You see Tel Aviv, this is where we stayed, we flew in, there's an airport here outside of Tel Aviv. Jerusalem is not far uh, to the south, southwest, so, southeast, sorry. and so we were able to take a, a straight drive back and forth down to from Tel Aviv and so the company the organization that took care of us to get there there's about seven of us that, that, that went on this particular tour uh, they they actually have been in existence since 1901 so there is called the KKL and JNF JNF will make sense to you the Jewish National Fund and so basically they've been responsible since 1901 of buying up land for Israel it's a, it's a Jewish, completely Jewish organization, buying up land for Israel, but then also planting forests all in and around the nation of Israel. And so it, it, taking a desert land and turning it green. And here's another way that they did that. This right here is a, just a monument of a donor that started this project here. This is a 300,000, I believe, cubic meter reservoir. So that's a lot of water. It's just a lot of water. And what this is, is if you think about your septic system, right? You got the little sprinkler that shoots out. If you have a septic system, if you're living in the country. And so this is basically the water that fills this up is that purified, that cleaned water that comes through a water waste system and into this reservoir. And typically it would be up into the, you know, the higher banks of this. But because of the refugees and people have, who have left the, uh, the, the area of Israel just outside of of Gaza, sorry, of Gaza Strip, of Gaza Strip, because they've left, then there's less wastewater. Makes sense? No people, no waste. So 
This is what provides also for many farms that would be around every one of these reservoirs. They have several of these all throughout Israel. And these right here are solar, uh, solar panels. And so those solar panels are actually floating. They not only produce power, but they also keep the water from evaporating so that it can be used for area families. And yet they're back over here, if I were to show you, there's places like that you may know called Johnson & Johnson. Anybody ever heard Johnson & Johnson? Well, there's, a, there's trees that they grow in this, in this area that not only provide um, a certain resource for some of the cosmetic items that Johnson & Johnson makes, but also an, a resource of, of rocket fuel. This plant actually produces something that's necessary for rocket fuel, jet fuel. So pretty neat. Uh, this was us, and this is me in front of some of the pillars and in front of the flags of Israel and the United States and KKLJNF. And so I want to introduce you to also to this area here that is this side would be Gaza Strip and it continues on. But one of the first places we went that day was Sderot. Sderot. And so it's, a, one of, it's, a, it's actually a, a large community just not far from the Gaza Strip as you can see. And the proximity is pretty close. Well, here's some interesting things. Uh, KKLJNF uh, has a a, a resource center that's basically for what we would call PTSD, but it's really, for them, they call it CTSD. So it's not post-traumatic, it's continued traumatic stress disorder. Because in this area of the world, you have to live under the continual daily rocket fire coming from another country, another space. And the only thing that keeps those rockets from coming and landing on your doorstep is this thing called the Iron Dome that's built for defense, not offense. And so the people that are living there are constantly having under this barrage of rockets, homemade. And by the way, for them to make, uh, for someone to make a rocket in, in the, say, the, an area like the Gaza Strip, all, it takes about 50 to $60 and you got a rocket. The Iron Dome, one of the Iron Dome missiles is about fifteen to 20000 So you can you see the offset. It's pretty cheap to make the other version. And so here's, here's why, this is why they have to have, this is not only, not only that, but this is also a, a fortified uh, building. And when you hit it, it, it's solid. It's built for missile, for, for, uh, uh, to, to help protect from missile attacks. Okay, so this building was fine uh, in one of the recent missile attacks as we know about. This is right here, this, this, this next video I'm going to show, this is the former police station that was hit by a missile just, just before uh, the Hamas came and attacked this area of Starat, okay? So let me tell you, let this handsome guy explain it. Hey there, so I'm standing in front of what was the police station, and it was where a rocket first hit about 36 hours before the attack. Behind me right here in this building. In another video I can show you, there are some bullet holes yet still there. And over in this building behind me, right, yep, it's gonna be right up here. There was somewhere in this area, there was a sniper, a Hamas sniper that was taking out every person that was coming out of the police station or going in the police station. Uh, there were several shots, a little over a dozen shots coming in, civilians coming in with guns to try to help. They didn't know what was going on. And so right over here, a trained uh, IDF military man realized what was going on, grabbed a rifle from a soldier, 
took time to climb up into, through the building, into this fourth story and uh, shot the sniper, the, the Hamas sniper, and killed him to end that little fiasco. And right down this road, if, you, if it ever shows, it's a very popular video, there was a car coming just like this one. And from behind me, there was a Hamas terrorist that had a RPG and shot directly into that car and killed the four people inside of that car. We're heading on to another location and we'll see you soon. So, so I just want to take this time to say this is not about an anti-anyone. This is just an anti-evil. And so we're not talking about negatively about Palestine. We're not talking negatively about anything except for evil. Because there's some really God-loving, God-fearing uh, Palestinians in Palestine who happen to be, because they're in the proximity under the now government since 2007 control of Hamas, which is driven by radicalism. Okay? Can you, can you help understand? So we're not a, we're not a only pro-Israel, anti-everybody else. Does that make sense? What we are is pro-peace in everywhere, in every nation, and that we hope that every person comes to know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. We don't understand the fullness of this and with Eastern mindsets. Even, it's, it's, you really got to struggle to get understanding when you go over to a West, I'm sorry, we're Western mindsets. When you go to an Eastern area trying to understand first before being understood, which is wisdom for any person, how Eastern uh, culture adapts and learns and understands things and perspectives in life. So, for example, when, Jew, when Jews talk about, and actually Muslims too, would talk about family, that family would go all the way back to Abraham because uh, Ishmael would be the forefather of, uh, the, of Islam, the, Muslim, the Muslims. And for us, uh, Isaac, and I mean after Abraham. So you have Abraham, Isaac in the Jewish world and in our world because we've, we're in Christ is the, next, is the son, the blessed son of, of Abraham. Well, remember Hagar who was sent out from, he was, she was the maidservant, who Sarah said to Abraham, hey, go sleep and lay down with the, maid, the maidservant, and Ishmael came, which there is the line of, of, of Islam. And so both point back, when they think family, they think all the way back to Abraham. None of you think, well, my grandfather and my, you know, back to my, my family, you don't think back to Abraham. They do. They have thousands of years of history and war and, and people coming and attack and fighting and, and vice versa. Do you, you, you hear what I'm saying? So it's hard for us to grasp, grasp some of the things that you're going to hear and understand and, and see. And so this, this I wanted to show you because this is real terms. Let me, let me show you what else happened in this, in this same town. This elderly group was in this, were in this van. They were traveling out of town just... Just a normal day. This is a Saturday. They're going to go out of town for the weekend. Well, they had a, unfortunately, they had a flat tire. And so when Hamas comes through, they literally just mow down everybody. Everybody's laid out, done, gone. Extreme acts of, of just terror. And that's evil. So right behind me, that's where we're going. As you can see, rockets have been exploding and all kinds of things are exploding out there. And it's still a war. But behind me, over here... I'm going to zoom in if I can. No, I can't. You have to look back here. There's a lot of burnt cars from the party that was going on the raid where uh, when Hamas came in and killed most of the young adults that were there. And so I'm going to turn this camera around and I'm going to shoot another video, but right here.
So I want to read something to you because you may not recognize, it may be unfamiliar to you until I read this. We literally were at the Brook of Besor, and that's a very small mentioned uh, place in the Bible. So as soon as I read this, many of you are going to be like, yeah, I remember that. Right here in this same space, what I'm, what I'm explaining here in this video is these are cars left over from where 3,000 young people were having a party, having a, a rave, and, and they were just, you know, it was multi-days, kind of like South by Southwest in Austin. Anybody ever heard of that? Well, there they were, and, and then Hamas comes through and just starts sending rockets and literally walking through as, as a, just terrorists and shooting everybody that they could. Three, of 3,300 were either killed or taken hostage. But I want to I tell you something that also took place in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. Anybody know Ziklag? Ziklag may uh, ring clear to anybody or a memory. Okay, Ziklag. Attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were, with, who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their own way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David, verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever been to a place where you have no more power to weep? You just cried so much? Like that deep bubbling, you got snot coming out of your nose, and you're just like, <laughs> is there any, any breath in my lungs right now? That, that's what we're talking about. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow, widow of Nabal, the, Camel, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughter. See, in Israel, this has happened before. And when they think this, when they see this, and they experience this, Oh, this was just like when, you, you see what I'm saying? So this is, this, this is real in a whole other term for them. And to, in fact, this same thing had happened already in the same area. Because right, to get here, we, cro we crossed the brook of Basor. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, it says. You've been to a place where you're so... You're so distraught and everybody's against you and you don't know who loves you anymore and it feels like the very people that you've been trying to fight with and fight for, fight for, are now against you and you just have to pull away. I just need to strengthen myself in the Lord. That's where he was. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Amalekah's Amalek's son, Please bring me the ephod here to bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, "Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them?" And he said, he answered him, "Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all." So David went. And he he and six hundred men who were with him came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and four hundred men. Two, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor in the same area. 
Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and this Egyptian just happened to be, was with the Amalekites. He was a servant of the Amalekites. He was sick. He fell unwell. So the Amalekites left him behind. David and his 400 men find the Egyptian. They feed him. They nourish him and get him back to health. And, And they ask him, where are these Amalekites who took our families, took our plunder, took all of our stuff from us? And so... And he said, he said, I'm a young man from Egypt. Uh, let me see, let me skip down. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor d- deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to the troop. And he went and he had brought him down. There, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land and from Judah. Then David attacked them at from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that, all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. And then sadly, that's not the case in this scenario. Because there's still 130 hostages yet to be recovered. And it's easy to forget. And it's easy to get caught up in life. And it's easy for the media to even quit talking about or not allow the message of the 130 hostages that are still taken to be on your mind. But it should. This is the story of the word of God. And for those of us who are in faith, it actually is a story of our generation, our, our lives rather. Because we too, our father of faith is Abraham. And so this is a part of our spiritual DNA as well. And here's the cars up close. Here's an up close and upfront picture of what, what it looks like now today. A young generation, young adults. On Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. It's a day where Jesus actually showed up in John 7 and says, All ye who are thirsty, come to me and drink. This is the day. So they're literally planning on building a memorial. I think they're going to excavate, dig, and then bury all the cars in memory of the, the young adults who lost their lives there. I want to take you to another place, Berri. Berri is a, is a kibbutz. A kibbutz is like a small community. Uh, and small is it may be a thousand, maybe a couple of thousand. But it's a closed communi- community. It's almost like a, a, it's a place where they take care of each other. They do business there. They'll go outside and do, uh, do life with others. But they're really, um, they're really isolated and very humble, very kind, very uh, just, just, they're just doing life together. That, that's all they're trying to do is take care of their families. Most of them are family, uh, friends, close friends. You think you live in a community of 11,000. I grew up in a, a town about 1,200. I'm sorry, a, a community of 1,100. I grew up in a, 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 a community of 1,200. Uh, they were 1,200 until this recent attacks. But Berry, you can see, you can see that it's here's the Gaza Strip right here, and here's Berry. It's about three miles in from Gaza Strip. Uh, so let me take you here. Here is Berry zoomed in. And right here, you're going to see in just a minute, 
Uh, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine named Golan. He's a resident of Eri, and he is one who helped in the recovery and helped in the aid and assistance of others uh, in the community while under attack. And so right here is what he's going to signify, he's going to highlight. I want you to see that. This is Golan right here. He was our tour guide, and uh, again, like I said, very brave, very brave. Here's, a, here's a, where a tank came through, where we were, where we were walking. Uh, you could see the ruts of where a tank had come through and then turned down the, down the neighborhood. You don't, like, don't want to see this in your neighborhood, by the way. <laughs> this is not good news. Like, no, thank you. But if you'll turn it up, here's, here's Golan. We, we learned everything from, from text messages because in the beginning... It was unclear from the beginning what is going on. There was the 6.30, there was a missile launch, and it was, uh, it was weird. Normally, here in the kibbutz, we are quite, quite safe, and it takes time to... It's, normally, we have an escalation until they start shooting in the kibbutz, and here we, it was like from zero to 100, and they start shooting. And, uh, and later we understood that before the launch that we woke up to, this, this place, you see the shiny barbed wire over there? This was the first and the main breach to the kibbutz. This is where all the massacre began from. And... Uh, where the majority of the terrorists uh, entered from. They had some groups going from the, the main gate. And, uh, and other groups going from other places, but main, the main entrance was here. They came with cars. They came with a car with a heavy machine guns on. They came with uh, bulldozers. And um, they just stormed the kibbutz, and a friend of mine told me he woke up to the launch and went outside, living way there, and he went to see the launch with his kids, the missile launch, and, and he saw terrorists outside. And so we understood that we are in a different situation. We have here, over there, these two guys are from Dubdevan. Uh, Special force. Sorry, sorry. Don't take pictures. <laughs> they will talk to you, but uh, don't take a picture of them. They were one of the special forces units that came and did miraculous job of uh, rescuing people here in the kibbutz. There were a lot of miracles and a lot of brave people here, and uh, we all tried to survive. By about 300 terrorists that came here. Let's talk a bit about you, about us. So he, he mentioned they came through with, with bulldozers and they also came through paraglide, like with paraglides, like parasail. They just came in. This is unheard of. They're just kind of flying in. They're coming in through with bulldozers. They're cutting down the place. Uh, cutting down the fences. 
Uh, we, we were Pay attention to the sound in the background here. Small unit, as I told you, but not, not enough to stop the slaughter. Only in five in the afternoon, the, the army start really engaging the, the, the terrorists and they went out of their comfortable zone and start fighting and stop randomly slaughtering. They kept on slaughtering, but not as easily. And here, here is the, the part of the, well, we have a bit, uh, a, a, bit, a little bit more time. This part is the part of the educational area of the kibbutz. And here, uh, the kids were, they finished school. Uh, the, the older kids, uh, first grader and, and up, when they finished school, they, they have a after-school after activity. And uh, when they start shooting rocket at us, like uh, 20 years ago, the first thing they do, they took the old kindergarten, kindergarten, like this facility was my old kindergarten, and they built like a dome above it. And then after several years, they built this concrete so as you can see they were fortifying a central location of which is their elementary school it's first grade now kindergarten before whenever he was in school now this is Saturday on Friday there were kids there uh, and I want to remind you I don't know if I think I already said it but each house typically had a bomb shelter and the only thing is the bomb shelter is there to shelter from bombs and so in this case, the uh, Hamas had actually come in in Israeli Defense Force uh, uh, uniforms and yet with their, with their bandanas of color on. And so they were going from house to house, knocking on doors, saying they were IDF, Israeli Defense Force, but because the Hebrew, the Hebrew language and the Arabic language are different, there's a little bit of a dialect or an accent the families knew, wait a minute, that's an Arab accent saying that I'm, I'm AIDF. And so these are just kind of a layer of the terror that was taking place. But also, again, these bomb shelters are not for soldiers coming in or terrorists coming in at gunpoint with AK-47s and Milishnikov. It's a difference. So families who are bar the doors with their hands, there's no locks on these because, again, it's just for bombs from afar. So the, the families who had try to bar the doors with their, with, their, with their arms or their bodies, the terrorist just shoots through that. And then once they get through that, they get through that, and you know what else takes place. And so this is the case, and this is a scenario, and this is what Golan is explaining. Did you hear that blast in the background, by the way? That was like every five minutes while we were there. And the first one really gets you. I'm surprised. I was video recording. I'm like, goodness, okay, gotcha. I see how this is going to be around here. And so we were literally right beside a battalion of tanks who were firing over back into uh, Gaza. And so it was kind of a, a back and forth all the whole time, all day. And so I'm going to take you around and show you some of the houses. So again, whenever they couldn't, let's say, that, let's say a family was able to withstand or the barrier of the house or the door was able to withstand the, the, the firing of, the, of, the, of Hamas uh, on their bomb shelter. Well, the, what they would do is just burn the house down and smoke them out. And they just obviously take the family out. So 95 people from this kibbutz were murdered. 
what the houses looked like. It was a, by the way, envisioning what it looked like before, it was a, an immaculate and beautiful ne- neighborhood. Golan said that the kids would walk through the streets in the neighborhood uh, barefooted, and so it was always clean, always well taken care of. Like the, the uh, landscaping was amazing in some of these houses. I just thought this was just monumental. You know, just seeing that the nation, the resilience of in, within the destruction, there's still a, a, a national pride, if you will, in a, in a humble way. And this right here is the kindergarten that he was just showing us. You see the bullet shots, and you see literally the Hamas had to fortify themselves because this is what they do even in Gaza Strip. They will, when attacked, they'll go to kindergartens or they'll go to little schools because they know that uh, Israel will get negative media if they shoot at, towards terrorists in an in a elementary school. But also, as we were talking to some of the soldiers, as they were in the Gaza Strip, and they would... They would uh, tell us it was like clockwork all you have to do to go to find where their weaponry is go to a kindergarten or in a class in a in a home go to either the elderly's room or go to the kids room pull out a stuffed animal there's a grenade inside of it so you just think the mentality we don't get this more bullet shots etc i don't know if i said it but to get to to get through this the, the the israeli defense the tanks had to blow a hole literally through the through the kindergarten the first grade in order to be able to get in and infiltrate this kindergarten which this right here what you're seeing right here is once once idf israeli defense force came in and they started to eradicate or help uh you know lower the issues or reduce the issues whether they're they're arresting some of the hostages and when it turned into a gunfight it just turned into a gunfight and there was an end to that gunfight and that they would have to go through all the community. And this is the first clearing right here. The house is cleared. They clear every house in the community. And then they come back and they have to clear every house yet again to make sure that no, no terrorists were left behind and still there. That's what that means if you see that. Here's the, here's the hole from where the, the, the shell, the, the, the shot from the, cannon, the tank went through. And unfortunately, there were some Hamas terrorists in there. In this, this is the kindergarten classroom. This is where it gets real right here. As I start to draw in a little bit, back in here, uh, as you see, they're just trying to have a, have a little classroom, have teaching kids how to, how to be at home, and et cetera. But here's the backside of this hole where the, cannon, where the, the tank blew through. And then this is where it got real for me because when I saw these little princess outfits over in the corner, and then I see this little Spider-Man outfit, all I can do is think about my two kids as well because my daughter loves to wear princess outfits, and my son loves Spider-Man. In fact, he had me dress up as Spider-Man a couple of years ago. You'll be blessed to see that picture one day. <laughs> but look at this. this. These chairs, let me invite you to go into our kids' classrooms, and it's the very same chairs that we have. And when you start to see that, you start to associate with, boy, what if, what if that were my community? I hope it never is. And here's one of the soldiers taking a look, taking a picture, just sitting there for a while. I watched him. I don't know his association with his family. And just across the street from this, this elementary school where Hamas was held up, it was held up in a, in a dent, this is a dental office, and inside were the dentist, a ear, nose, and throat doctor, uh, an EMT worker, female EMT worker, 
and they were getting as many people as they could who had been injured and shot and uh, from the attack, bringing them into the dentist's office to help serve them, help help to help them, uh, to give them any kind of support they could. And there was one security guard in there as well for the community. It, and it ended up being, Hamas was trying to come into this, and this one security officer took out 40 Hamas terrorists just outside, down to the last bullet. And once the last bullet was spent, of course, Hamas infiltrated, and there was one survivor, and here's what they said. And I'm just giving you layers. There's good news at the end of this, by the way, but I'm giving you layers of understanding and perspective. Because you need to understand. Here's what happens. What happens? When we see this stuff, the stuff we don't want to hear about, we turn the channel. Or we swipe right. Or we swipe it away. But the reality is, this is real. And you can ignore it for as long as you want, but it, one day it's going to be really real for you. And it's an avoidance situation to not know, here's what's really going on in the world. And the last thing you want it to do is come to your door. And no one thought 9-11 was going to happen. I get it. But it did. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? And so the, the only survivor from this dental office told the story, the testimony of this security officer who had been shot by Hamas coming in after having protected them of 40 other uh, Hamas terrorists. He was crawling into a closet. And by the way, these stories need to be heard. Otherwise, it's wasted. Crawling into the closet, and she hears, the survivor hears a Hamas terrorist mow him down saying, this is just for fun. Now, again, this is evil. So we, had a, we held a memorial there. We uh, brought flowers for that memorial. We worshiped there. We prayed. We prayed for peace over the area. We prayed for the peace of the people that were there. There were family members coming in and out. Uh, wherever some of the Israel, Israel the kibbutz uh, residents were, that actually, you know, sadly, you'll see gunshots around a silhouette. Meaning there was an individual there at one time, and they would come in and they write about the individual because obviously they have to remove the, the people from there. And not only this, because of the Jewish belief, they also, they also have to, with fine detail, search every house because there might be a tooth somewhere. And in a Jewish culture, every part of the body has to be brought back together if it can be found for that individual. And so some of these actually, Golan was actually a, a, a uh, what is the equivalent of a DNA researcher. If you think about this, tr trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, having to sift through every part of every house to see if you might find something that belongs to the right individual. And so we, we moved on down to, to uh, Ian Habzor which is a mashal. So this is a little bit different. This is uh, a kibbutz is a smaller community that's kind of confined. A mashal is a little bit larger community, still set aside like a communal, but each person has their own farms and they work their own farms and they, they bring in people from Thailand to help work those farms as well. Now, some, as you've heard in the news, some of the Thai, uh, people from Thai, Thailand have been held hostage, but a lot of them just left. And this is why they need so much help in the farmlands of Israel around the Gaza Strip because the Thai workers abandoned. Just, they just left. They're like, I'm going home. You can deal with this yourself. I'll come back when it's all over. And so there's a, a, still a great need there for that. So we come down to this, again, still two or three miles away 
from the Gaza Strip. And this guy's Dean. Let me introduce you to Dean. Uh, Dean was the first, has the first, uh, uh, first greenhouse in this community. And in this community, it had bordered walls. And you have to have, in most communities, you have bordered walls. And there's a gate. There's a security gate. And you have to get through the gate in order to get in. Well, uh, some uh, four or five Hamas uh, attackers had come in trying to get through this wall. And some men got word and grabbed their pistols. By the way, in Israel, you can only have a, a citizen, you can only have pistols. No, no rifles are, are allowed. And it takes about 12 months to get a pistol, mind you. Now, you see a rifle over here. He didn't have that until two days before we got there. And because of all the attacks, the government started saying, okay, we're going to arm the people. Can I just say that's, that's why America is as safe currently as it is, and Texas especially, but let them start disarming the people. So he, gar he grabs his axe because he doesn't have a pistol. He goes home and grabs his little bitty axe, and it's a little bitty axe, and he's like running out there. I'm going to, and his friends are like, what are you going to do with the axe? This good dude is so full of joy, so, so much hope. He goes, I'm, he says, I don't know, but I know that they're not going to get to my parents, and at least I'll give me, I'm going to give my parents enough time that they're going to have to get through me. Again, these people think family. And so the... The, uh, the, the community is fighting off the, the four or five uh, terrorists that are trying to come through this gate. And one of them has, and they have, now they have AK-47s and Malishnikovs, and they have an RPG launcher. This guy sets up to shoot the RPG launcher, and it, it's fired at the gate, and it takes, a, it takes a, high, a high right and goes and hits a tree instead. The, the terrorist throws the gun down, and at that point, the guys with handguns defeat four or five guys with AK-47s, Malishnikov, and rocket launchers. These guys run off. Nobody gets harmed in this community. Down the road, there's five or six trucks full of Hamas and two motorcycles with Hamas waiting for them to get through the gate so that they can come in and rain terror right behind them. They all leave. Now, that, they, they are declaring that as a miracle of God. They give them credit. All right, that's Dean. And ended up being, the Dean ended up taking their axe like, not only do I have my axe, but I have one of their axes as well. <laughs> so he was proud of that. He's a, he's a super guy. He grows cherry tomatoes. And this is kind of the landscape of that area, by the way. And then we were, we were on our way home, and we ended up meeting some of the Israeli. We were going to a coffee shop to get some fuel, uh, sorry, get some coffee. And then uh, it was closed down because of the proximity to Gaza Strip. And so, but the soldiers were there. And we ended up talking with them and having a conversation. And they were like, what are you doing here? I'm like, we're trying to get coffee. And he's like, no, here in Israel, what are you doing here? I said, well, we just came to pray with you guys and let you know we're, we're here to encourage and support you and that we love you. And that right there, the love and support that they don't know that they have did everything. He said, well, I'll make you some coffee. And I said, yeah, let's have some coffee. So they pull out their little a little stove, little gas stoves, and, and start making some Arab coffee for us. And we all sat around and had coffee together. But can I, get, can I tell you, I got that question a lot while I'm in Israel. Why are you here? Do you love me? Do you love Israel? Well, I'm, I'm like, of course, it, of course I love you. But that also shows to say that if, if there's a question, then they wonder, who loves us? Does anybody love us? So there we are, having coffee with them. And here's some of the, we go down to the square of the missing. These are some of the, where the, the hostages that are still missing, their families come every day, all day, and they're just, 
they're praying for and they're bringing recognition to their family members who they're hoping to come home. And these are a lot of the kids who have been taken, little kids and babies taken hostage by terrorists. And there they are grieving. And I think it was a great and beautiful moment because they're just grieving how they know how to grieve. And they set the table for every hostage to come home. And yet 30 miles away from Gaza Strip is this beautiful, beautiful beach. And every day there's these young people that are getting out and getting out on the beach. And they're playing soccer. They're playing volleyball. They're playing, I don't know what it's called, soccer volleyball. And I'm telling you, that was a, that's a skill. But every day... We went to uh, this lady's house that I just showed you and her husband back here. Uh, they're from Germany, but for the last 30 years, they've been evangelizing Jews in Jerusalem and in Israel uh, for, for Christ, that they come to know the Messiah. And so in 1948, there was only 24 known Christians. Now there's 2,500 to 3, I'm sorry, 25,000 to 30,000. And the reason this is important because they've been a part of that movement, just showing the love of Christ. And this is, this is Yair. He is actually a, a rabbi who was a former uh, captain of the version of Navy SEALs, or their version of Navy SEALs. He was retired, but he can, came back into, to go to the Army during this time. He's actually a worship leader for a, a Jewish, Jewish uh, culture. And so he, he, was, uh, he had, through his Instagram, has really been showing me a lot of behind-the-scenes videos since this thing started and I started following him before the war broke out just because he was I was starting to learn about the Jewish culture culture through him so that was pretty cool he showed up in Tel Aviv and Tel Aviv beautiful by the way that's our group right there and I want to take you here's Gaza and then Ashkelon Ashkelon's just north of Gaza here's Gaza Strip and here's Ashkelon and Ashkelon got hit pretty hard as well and as soon as we got there here comes rockets from the Gaza Strip And what was neat to watch is how the Iron Dome responded to these. Do you hear it hitting in the background? What was not so neat is this one you're about to see looked like it was about to come right at us. <laughs> like, okay. And you couldn't see the rockets from the Iron Dome. You just all of a sudden heard them. And you don't know where they came from, but you just heard that. Pretty incredible. I'm going to zoom through this right here. And then, and then not, not a mile or two away from here's this beautiful place. You're, you're on the boardwalk. There's this marina. There's great food. And you're like, this is so hard to comprehend. At one point, you're in the middle of a war. And the other point, you're just in this beautiful place. And people are just doing life as usual. Like for us, it's hard. We had lunch with a couple of guys for their, in their 40, uh, 40 and younger. And uh, one of them said, it's one thing for us as adults adults but our we've we've raised our kids under this and my daughter won't even go to the bathroom without one of us being one of the parents being with her and and they're blessed in Ashkelon because they get once the sirens go off because there's a rocket they get 30 seconds in Berri where Golan was they get 15 seconds and Golan was telling me over in Tel Aviv they get a minute and a half he goes do you know what I can do in a minute and a half he goes I can take a shower I can put my clothes on I can <laughs> And then we went to the office of uh, Bring Them Home Now, and 1,500 volunteers are rallying together to help bring awareness to the host for the hostages that are still 
taken captive. Now, 102 were, were returned about three weeks ago, and uh, they're in the ceasefire, but there's still 130-ish that are missing right now. So we were there. Here's one of the beautiful faces brought home. Thankfully, there was a pile of people brought home. And we were talking to some uh, former ambassadors who are working with their, uh, their relationships through international, uh, international resources. This is a cousin of one of the girl, ladies who was shot in her farm and then taken hostage, hostage out in one of these mashabs. And so she, she writes that both of them came over and they were, they were just living a, a simple life, living a farming life, and, and not, never expecting that terrorists would come into a farm and start and take people out of the farm. So... And then this gentleman right here, his, his niece, he was there for his brother because his niece, Eden, had been taken. They, she and her, her, uh, her fiancé and friend have, had been taken from uh, the street. They were leaving that rave, that party. They were, they were ready to go, and it just happened to be their timing was bad because they met Hamas on the way there. And, of course, she was missing and, and didn't know where she was, haven't heard anything about her. And it just happened to be the last thing he said was, would you help bring my niece home? Well, two hours later while we're at dinner, we get a text that on the news that his, his niece had already been dead for 60 days. And he didn't know it. And two soldiers who went in to get some of these corpses, these bodies of Israelis, actually got murdered in the, in the act of, and one of them happened to be a, general's, uh, a, general, a former general's son. And so here you see soldiers going in to get these bodies to take them back to bring them back to Israel. And we're, we're also there during Hanukkah. Let me mind, remind you that just after Jesus says, come to me all you who are thirsty, he also says, I am the light of the world. And that's what this is representing. If you weren't here last New Year, or Christmas Eve, you should go back and, and check that out. But they're celebrating literally the light of the world. And yet they, many don't know Jesus at all. So there's a great opportunity for, for us as Christians. This is Jerusalem right here. There's the, the dome, the temple, of, the temple mount, dome of the rock. A lot of, a lot of adversity right there. This is where uh, Abraham would have uh, uh, sacrificed, went to sacrifice Isaac, and thankfully, thankfully an angel of the Lord said, don't do it. I will provide the sacrifice. Very, very powerful. This is where the holiest of holies, where the temple was. This right here, Knesset, that's the, the White House of Israel. This is where they, the Congress would meet, the, 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 the representatives meet. And on Hanukkah, we went and represent, or sorry, we, we celebrated Hanukkah, the night of Hanukkah, with refugees who were staying in a hotel there. And then the, we went over to a rabbi's house to have Hanukkah dinner. And uh, he, of course, he's outside of his house and he's lighting candles, Hanukkah candles, and just kind of singing a song uh, as, as he would do that, his, his normal routine, a celebratory prayer song. And this right here, this is Emmaus. Anybody ever remember the, 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 where Emmaus is in the Bible? There's two disciples, one's named Cleo, and they're on their way. And this guy shows up, who's Jesus resurrected, shows up, and he meets them in the street. And this is where they were, they were going, or actually coming from. And so he's right there. He's a, he's a, he's a Catholic brother. Uh, he told us that before this place was excavated, this is a synagogue, before it was excavated, that a, a nun had prophesied that the, the synagogue of Emmaus was right there. So the, the Catholic Church got money or bought this property from the Muslims and they started excavating it and lo and behold, they found the synagogue. Isn't that neat? 
I love, I love to hear that. And so here's a, here's a baptismal uh, right here in the, at the, uh, the, the synagogue of Emmaus. And then this is a Jesus-era tomb. Uh, a Jesus-era tomb, and we know because they stopped, they stopped uh, creating tomb or digging tombs like this after about 100 A.D. And so let me give you a look inside of that. Their, their stone is really not as big as you think. It was, this hole was probably this big. And the stone rolled in front of it would have been just a little bit bigger. And inside of it is where each family member would be. There would be, uh, at first they would put uh, the, the body inside and the flesh, they would close the tomb and then the body would decay. They would come in a year later and they would build these little, what are called ossuaries, little stone boxes. And they would fold the, fold the family member down to the size of about the femur. And then they would put them inside of that box and then place them back inside of the, inside of the little cavern there. And so every family would be, uh, be uh, buried together. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying this to signify how important family is to, the, to these people. And there's a look inside of it. And I wanted to show you this lastly uh, before the video that they made, that KKL and JNF made for us. Uh, because we were out planting trees just inside of, inside of the West Bank, just on the outskirts. And, and I, let me just tell you, we had a lot of unfriendly looks stop by and wonder what we were doing and a lot of hand gestures and facial gestures. And like, okay. Uh, so we were planting trees uh, for KKL, JNF, planting for Israel. Well, this right here says, Ariel, our angel. This was a soldier, a family, a, a soldier had died in the war. A family came and planted a tree in his honor. And if I were to show you this whole field, in fact, it's a little cedar tree. If I were to show you this whole field, there's not one flower in it. But two weeks ago, they came and they, they, uh, they, they planted this tree. And here within two weeks, this little flower, right there at the base of where they had planted this tree for, for Ariel, their angel, just started popping up. Isn't that beautiful? How God just puts his little kisses on things. I want to show you a video that they made for us, and then we'll close out. There's a strong connection, I think, between Christians and Jews, and we have a, a common moral background, and that should bring us together more than uh, bring us apart. Returning to Israel was an act of compassion, an attempt to bear witness to the pain of the moment, and to testify to the resilience of the people here. Continuous traumatic stress disorder, continuous treatment, in a place like this that's built to heal, but also to protect. Here in the kibbutz, we suffered a great loss. We are gonna rebuild the burned house. We're gonna build the kibbutz bigger and stronger. How could this happen? How could the Lord let this happen? How, how could his people suffer in such a way? Father, all of these questions, we can't answer immediately, but Lord, we do know one thing, that you are great and you are holy, and we worship you now in this moment. So Father, as we lay this, uh, this wreath down uh, in honor 
of uh, the people here, realizing this is your land, these are your people. all the way from the United States. Still, while we had a war, just a couple of miles from where we are right now, standing here and telling us, you are not alone, it means the world to us. There's no reason for a baby to be tortured, killed, kidnapped, taken captive to Gaza. It doesn't matter what side you're on. That is wrong. We are drawing our energy and power and belief from you visiting us. I know I'm going to take back this message of here's what's really going on and really make an appeal for the hearts of our people to say, hey, what can we do together to really make a difference back here and partnering with the Jews, with Israel? I'm taking back from Israel this time these stories, uh, the people's pain, their heartache, uh, and a call to action, which for, for us is prayer, but it's also continuing to tell their stories. This trip has been especially meaningful to me because of the connection to the land. And to be here at this moment when we are hearing of history being replayed, being recounted in light of current events is really significant. And I want to I want to remind you that in destruction there's many great things that are going. If we can pull back about a thirty thousand foot view from the five thousand that we've been in and being able to see here's what's going on Israel Gaza Strip. I, I want to read something to you, but first I want to tell you that I really feel like we're in a monumental season and era, century era for not only uh, our generation but for a couple of generations to come. More like a a century moment, meaning a hundred year moment. Uh, because of a, a one-two punch from 2020 to 2023, and because of the uh, ac you know the incline inclination or the acclimation of the negative media towards Israel, they really are wondering: Does do you love us? And and I would say that for surrounding areas that are in conflict as well. But what I see is there's a moment where, and what I've experienced is Jews who otherwise wondered: Do Christians love us? Does anybody love us? Does Americans love us? It's a monumental moment for us to come in and just show the love of the Father because they understand the Father. Show the love of the Father and let them know in building bridges of relationships so that our children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren can one day be an influence and truly lead the Jews to Christ, truly lead Muslims to Christ. And so we have an opportunity in time that says, hey, I'm just going to build bridges and I want to get to know you. I want to hear your story. Many things I probably won't agree with, but that stuff doesn't matter right now. 
what matters is that we start to develop relationship. I think that's the season that we're in, and I don't think there's ever been a season like this in Jewish, in Israeli, in Middle Eastern history because of all the other issues that have gone on religiously and spiritually, but I think now we're in a moment and we're in a time. Let me, let me bring you some more hope real quick because in Zechariah 9, he prophesied, verse 5, Ashkelon, which I showed you in the north of Gaza, shall see it, talking about the destruction, shall, shall see it and fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for he helped dry her, he dried her, uh, dried up her expectations. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. Let me just tell you, it's, right now it's not inhabited. They, they, they've left. There's a few there. A mixed race shall settle in Ashdod, which is just north of Ashkelon, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away from the blood, of, from, the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth. But those who remain, even he shall be for our God. But those who remain, even he shall be for our God, and shall be like the leader in Judah, and Ekron like the Jebu a Jebusite. I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, and let me just tell you, that's Jesus. And the beauty behind the destruction is, is making way for Jesus to come and make another yet triumphal entry. And some of that is us beginning to take advantage of the hardness of the hearts of the Jews so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come to Christ and become part of God's body, God's people, and then yet go back and deliver the message and the love of Christ back to a Jewish people who already belong to God, yet miss this coming king. Are you with me? So there can be light. There can be glory. There can be some amazing thing, things happen in the midst of this destruction. But God's got to get the heart of his people who are in Christ to come and be willing to share his love beyond any kind of denomination or religious belief. Just the love of Christ to a people who are needing, hurting, and wanting to know, do you love me? And so how this whole thing started and how I ended up getting here was really a question that developed. When this whole thing broke out, my pastor, preacher, religious response is, oh, I can pray for Israel. Yay. Right? We're all supposed to pray for Israel. But the question was, but what can I really do? And I've come to know that when God gives you a question, puts a question in your heart, he doesn't ask you so that you can give him the answer. About three days, months later, two months later, about three days before I'm leaving to come to Israel on an invite that's just rare and random, I'm in the shower wondering, Lord, do you really want me to go here? And there I am. And he reminds me of the question. He says, do you remember when you asked, is there anything that I can really do? And when God does that, 
He asks you in such a way to remind you, not so you can give him the answer, but so that he can open up your eyes for revelation for the answer he's about to give you. If you don't know that, you need to know that. God's, God's not looking for answers from you. He's looking for your awareness of revelation so he can give, you ans give answers to you. Which gave me the boldness and the courage to say, okay, then you've called me unto this so that I can do something. Show me what it is. And you may be there and you're like, well, what can I really do? I'll pray for Israel. Great. Pray for Israel. There's some things that you can do. Maybe Israel's not on your heart first. Right now we're partnering with Compassion International to be able to give seeds to be, so that people internationally can plant uh, fields or plant forests or plant so that they can have produce just to survive. Okay, you can go to the little Christmas tree out there in the cafe. You can partner with us. You can take one of those little seed ornaments and your family can, can, can donate the 30-ish dollars in order to do that. And that's wonderful. That needs to happen because people need food around the world in places that they can't have it. They can't get it. Well, what can I do for Israel? Well, number one, yeah, you, you can pray. But pray for the peace of all nations that are around so that evil is eradicated and the, God, the goodness of God increases. All nations. Palestine, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, all nations. Pray for them. But you can also, you can go, you can come. I'm still planning on leading a group back there. Now it's tour and ministry based, so come. I pray that the Lord will tug at your heart and won't let you sleep until you just say, okay, I'll go, Lord. And maybe you're not there and maybe you can't, but maybe God still pulls at your heart and I'm praying for you as well. But I can, I can help send somebody there. Do that. There's two initiatives that we have this year, 2024. Two initiatives, two initiatives alone. And they're big, they're great. But they're things that we have to do to move forward. Again, like I told you, we have a century opportunity. I really feel that we can prepare the generation to be able to go and, and really lead Jews to Christ one day. Well, we need some space for them as well because we're growing out of space with them. And that's where a multi-use building comes into place. Okay. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to have funds to be able to build that. But we also need a fund to provide for whatever the need is. We don't know what the need is. We have an idea of what the need is. Whatever the need is that comes up for Israel, that may be sending people, that may be uh, helping to rebuild, to restore. It may be sending teams of people who can help with freedom ministry and emotional health issues. We're just being available, preparing in advance by encouraging you through our kingdom builders, the heart for the kingdom, just saying, okay, be above and beyond my tithe, I want to start giving there frequently or whatever the scenario is so that we can be ready to be able to bring aid and assistance as soon as Israel opens up and says, okay, the refugees are out of the hotels, now we can bring people to come in and help. Great, we're ready for that. We're not waiting to the last minute till the need happens, and you see what planning does? But we also need to, we need to prepare for the field, but we also need to work the next generation to get prepared for the harvest. So that's why these are the only two initiatives we have going in 2024. We've got to have a place to, to develop, to disciple, and train them, and we've got to get ready for a place that I know is welcome to receive us as American Christians. Can I pray for you? I just want to challenge your heart. And I want to challenge you to ask, ask the Lord, in what areas would you like for me to be a part and help in the house in which you've called me to be in? So, Father, I just pray for peace that surpasses understanding. 
And Lord, I just pray that you put it in the hearts of every individual exactly what you would have for them to do to bring preparation for your coming, to bring love and kindness back to your people in Israel and the surrounding areas in order to prepare a next generation to be able to love your people, to love all people, and show the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. So Lord, tonight, the weeks to come, Lord, I really pray that you pull at hearts, that you leave people restless until they actually do what your voice is asking and calling them to do. Lord, I pray for callings to start to emerge. I pray for people to no longer shun your calling and your voice, to no longer swipe when you start to speak, but to resonate, to saturate, to meditate, to contemplate the very things that you're asking them to do to be a part of a generation of generations to be shifted, to be changed for your glory. So I pray for American Christians to rise up and truly take action and have initiative and have foresight for things that are, are possible right now and coming. So Father, I just pray that you wake up those who are sleeping spiritually. Pray that you give revelation. Pray that you give direction. And Lord, I pray, for the, I pray for the heart of the response to be imparted inside of them before you even ask the question. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.